Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us uh, for another virtual breakfast. Uh, my name is Eric Anderson. I'm a field crops educator down on the Indiana border, and I'll be your host this morning. Uh, starting off, we're going to have Manny Singh talking about uh, corn and soybean planting, uh, some of the uh, historical patterns, then also what he's seeing so far this year. Then uh, we'll move on to our weather outlook from Jeff Andreessen. And uh, special for today, we're going to actually have a, a third presentation. We'll, we'll leave it to the end. But Dennis Pennington has prepared a short video for us on how to assess winter wheat stands. And then Dennis will also be uh, live joining us. So if anyone has any questions about that, we'll be able to ask him as well. So, Manny, I'm going to turn things over to you. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. And uh, let's get started here. Uh, I'm going to start with the where we are. Uh, and I know Jeff is going to cover more uh, about this later on, but I'll, I'll just uh, give a couple of uh, quick pointers here. So I think as all of you know, uh, we have been relatively cool here. Uh, you can see the 2019 growing degree day map here. A uh, little bit more uh, ahead in the, in the south compared to in the, in the north. And uh, we are a little bit ahead of where we were last year, as shown in the graph on the, on the right. But overall, compared to a long-term average, we are still behind. So we are relatively cool uh, at, at this point. And as all of you know, we have been really wet. Uh, this uh, graph shows the precipitation in the last 14 days, and it goes anywhere between 2 to 4 or even 5 inches. So this basically, this is a result of all of this. It's, uh, a lot of our fields are looking like this. Uh, a lot of wet spots uh, out there, right? So this uh, cool and wet uh, start of the spring uh, in combination with the, some of the missed fall uh, field operations we had due to the, uh, a lot of rain we received back in uh, last fall uh, caused a little bit delay in the in the progress of the growing season, as shown uh, with all these red colors on on these two uh, images. Um, basically, the area planted in 2019 uh, up till last week in corn, we are at two percent, which is about uh, three percent behind compared to our five-year uh, average. And in soybean, we are right on the on the ballpark. But with all the rain that we are receiving this, this uh, week, uh, I expect us to, to get uh, a lot behind. So again, uh, this late and little bit slow start uh, uh, will result in basically growers need to reassess and adjust their management uh, practices uh, in a way, uh, essentially, that can still expedite crop establishment, which is really critical, especially when we are dealing with a little bit delayed planting scenario. But I would like to point out that that does not mean that we want to go in and plant into marginal soil conditions because that can actually harm our yield potential more than it can benefit it, uh, basically. And what does that mean? Uh, essentially, uh, in terms of soil temperatures, as you can see in this uh, figure here uh, from uh, until last week, we are doing okay. Most of the state is above that 50-degree threshold that gets uh, thrown around uh, for basically imbibition chilling injury not to occur. So, so we are okay there, but my worry is basically the slow emergence and initial growth in our crops uh, due to this uh, 
cool uh, temperature conditions uh, because the growing degree the accumulation is really low and both corn and soybean need around 90 to 120 growing degree days uh, and right now our high temperatures are hovering around 60 degrees so we are accumulating maybe five growing degree days uh, uh, on a given day so at that pace it'll take 15 to 20 days for for the crops to emerge and makes it more prone to all kind of insects and diseases, uh, mostly seedling diseases out there, right? So the second factor here is soil moisture, which uh, is more relevant uh, where we are right now with all this rain. And we want to make sure that we are not basically uh, cultivating our fields and planting when the, when the soil is wet. Uh, this is what we generally call mudding the seed in. We want to avoid that because it can lead to poor seed to soil contact. Uh, it can also lead to soil crusting uh, and uh, uh, the smearing of the sidewall, uh, which can result in uh, uh, sidewall compaction and really restrict our root growth. Uh, later in the, in, the, in the growing season and eventually lead to again a loss in yield potential. So, so we really want to avoid basically mudding uh, the seed in basically uh, right uh, when we start getting a little bit dry here and when uh, folks are going to feel a rush to start planting as soon as, as they can. So again planting into good soil conditions is important. Uh, otherwise it can result in uh, yield limitations, uh, loss. Uh, uh, one way to do that is basically limit our field operations uh, so we can expedite uh, plantings. Uh, uh, for example, limit our tillage operations or even uh, start of fertilizer applications uh, in, a, in a crop like soybean. Uh, uh, in terms of basically, again, now thinking about what, what, what we need to be doing in terms of uh, where, where we are uh, from management perspective, uh, our planting window is relatively short because we are so far north uh, here in Michigan anyways. Uh, but still, the, the point I want to make is that basically we need to make sure we are planting in good conditions because the, the data has shown that uh, even mid to end of uh, May planting uh, can still provide us in, in high yield. Last year was a good example uh, for, for soybeans that uh, even though we were behind, we were able to get pretty decent yields uh, and uh, planting too early can uh, result in a loss of yield. As you can see on this figure on the right, uh, this is our 2017 data where we try to plant uh, really early and we had a uh, uh, really pounding rain uh, after that April 27th and we uh, basically ended up uh, losing yield. So this yield loss was not because of early planting but because of planting into poor soil conditions. So we, we want to avoid that. And again, there is still plenty of time and once uh, hopefully we get a break in weather, uh, a lot of planting can done uh, can be done within a given week uh, as we have seen in a couple of years before. In terms of what to plant first, corn and soybean, I, I would like to rephrase this question and, and say that it depends on the equipment availability and field conditions. So dependent on the, on the crop rotation, if a field has a light texture soil uh, and uh, let's say has a, has a drainage, uh, that field will dry up quickly. So we want to make sure we are going into that field and planting whatever crop that the, that, that field is supposed to receive. So again, um, basically optimal planting conditions is important. Uh, and uh, again, not rushing uh, with this uh, current weather uh, into planting, I guess is going to be important as, as well. Another important factor that will come into play is uh, a maturity selection. Uh, most of uh, us do 
have these uh, adapted varieties and hybrid that we are planning to plant. But what happens basically if we are dealing with a little bit delayed planting scenario? Do we need to switch our maturities? And uh, based on uh, the current research, uh, most of the time if we are planting in May, we can keep that same maturity, both in corn and, and soybean. But then if we're dealing with late plantings, then we need to start thinking about that. Do we need to switch into an early maturity variety in terms of uh, keeping a high yield potential and dealing with the, some of these other uh, risks that, 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 that might, might occur. So starting with the with soybean, here is some of our data from uh, 2018. Uh, I'm presenting just one location, but both of our locations gave uh, a similar results. Here you can see we had four planting times, starting with early from end of April, going all the way into end of June with very late planting. And using uh, up to six majority groups, uh, ranging from one to 3.5 within each planting date. And we did see this uh, staircase increase in yield with the early planting, essentially showing that the, the benefit of early planting is mostly uh, occurring when we are using a longer majority group. But again, in this current weather, if we're dealing with some of these later planting scenarios, uh, we can see that as we went into this late June, we actually did benefit from using our relatively early maturity variety here, basically. So, so keep, keep that, 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 that in mind. Uh, in terms of corn, uh, I have been looking at a lot of our data from the Michigan corn performance trials, and I'm really not seeing a good correlation between uh, using a, mat a longer maturity and increase in grain yield, while we always see an increase in moisture content with the, with the longer maturity. So that results into basically not much difference in net returns or actually even a decline in net returns with the, with the use of longer maturity. So again, with delayed planting, I would recommend not uh, basically staying with the too long of, of a maturity. Uh, again, we want to have essentially a, a portfolio approach where we have combination of maturity so the harvesting window can be spread out. Uh, but basically using a mid to early uh, maturity hybrids uh, helps us in terms of grain drying in field uh, and uh, minimizing some of these mycotoxin issues that we have seen recently. We have some data that shows that uh, our use of longer maturity group might uh, basically increase the risk of having some of those mycotoxins. So, so just another important point to, to keep in mind. Uh, moving on, uh, in terms of seeding rates, uh, starting with soybean here, again, the similar study that I was explaining before, we have four uh, planting dates here, going from end of April to end of June. And uh, we tried actually to go as low as 50,000 and as high as uh, two, uh, 210,000, uh, 100,000 seeds. And as you can see, we did not really see a benefit of increase in seeding rate or going anywhere above 90,000 in our first three plantings, basically going from end of April into early June. We did see an increase, of, uh, increase in yield only with this really delayed planting. So basically it made sense to increase seeding rate in soybean when we were dealing with this really late plantings into mid-June essentially. Otherwise we could uh, cut our seed down to basically and uh, to decrease our input cost uh, and improve our, our, our profit margin.
Uh, and this all comes down to this figure here that as we go down on our seeding rates, basically the, the, the plant is able to branch out more uh, and essentially compensate for that, that low stand essentially. <clears throat> So again, uh, I think a lot of agronomists uh, at other universities have used this 100,000 plants as a final stand number, uh, which I think is a, is a good number to target. But uh, some of this current research is showing that we can even uh, go a little bit lower than, than that. And based on, again, the planting conditions, we need to adjust our planting rate to get close to this 100,000 number. Uh, in terms of corn, uh, the, the ideal rate varies between 28 to 34,000 uh, seeds per acre based on the, on the yield potential in, in that field. Uh, and again, if we are planting early, basically the, the germination loss could be that typical 5 to 10 percent. But as the planting gets delayed, I think we expect the, the germination to improve because those soils are not cold and wet anymore. So the actual seeding rate can be reduced with the, with the delay in planting in case of corn, uh, again, um, factoring in those, uh, those warm soils later in the, in, in the growing season. Uh, seed quality is an important component here uh, this year, especially in, in soybean. Uh, there were some concerns with the, with the quality, with that delayed fall harvesting and uh, some of the, the fungal diseases that, that we were seeing. So keeping that, that uh, quality in, in mind and uh, planting the high quality seed first is going to be important. And if that germination uh, percent on that seed tag is 85% or low, we might want to go for a cold germ test to make sure that we understand the, the quality of that seed. Uh, and the last point I want to make uh, here is about seed treatment. Uh, again, they Generally, we see the, the most benefit from a seed treatment uh, with the early plantings when, the, when the, uh, the soil is cold and wet. So, uh, but in our research, uh, we have seen that, that the, the seed treatment was able to improve the plant stand, but not essentially a yield increase. So again, dependent on field history and planting conditions, seed treatment could be a benefit, especially in a, in a, in a season like, like this. So essentially to wrap it up, uh, again, uh, we want to make sure that we do uh, expedite our crop establishment if we do get delayed in, in planting, uh, but planting into marginal soil conditions is, is not the, the, the way to go. Limiting field operations might, might benefit to achieve that. Uh, and again, uh, in terms of prioritizing corn on soybean, planting as per field conditions is, is the ideal way. Switching maturity, if we get really delayed, uh, is, is beneficial. And then in terms of seeding rate, targeting that optimal final stand is, is important. All right, that's all I had to say today. Uh, a quick uh, reminder on the uh, Ag Innovation Day on July 26th. And with that, I would uh, like to take any, any questions and thanks uh, you for attending. All right. Thanks, Manny. Uh, I have one question in the chat right now, but if anyone else has a question, please feel free to use the chat function. Uh, if you're on the computer, it should be on the lower part of your screen if you just hover over that. Uh, so, Manny, the question I have right now is, does planting rate change based on row width over time? Huh, that's, that, 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 that's a good question, actually. There is, a, at least in corn, there were some research showing that with the, with the narrow rows, the, 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 the planting rate could be pushed a little bit higher, but uh, a lot of recent research doesn't really, uh, I think, uh, uh, agree with, with that. So in, in corn, I think at least with the, with the change in uh, row spacing, uh, I don't expect seeding rate to vary a whole lot. Uh, 
and with the with the delay in planting again i think one of the important point to keep in mind is we want to close that canopy as as we are getting delayed as quickly as possible to maximize light interception right so there might be some benefit there basically if we are in 30 inches compared to 15 inches because 15 would close canopy sooner in terms of Swabbing, uh, again, I think a similar argument holds uh, that basically 15 inches close the canopy quickly compared to 30 inches. So there might be a little bit more benefit of increasing seeding rate more in 30 inches compared to 15 inches. And all of our research is actually in 15. So we don't have data to actually justify that. All right, thank you, Manny. So yeah, anyone else, if you have questions, please feel free to put those in the chat box and we can come back uh, towards the end of our session and answer those. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and switch over to Jeff Andreessen. Jeff, you want to share your screen and talk a little bit about the weather outlook. Do you have mine yet, Eric? Yep. Wonderful. All right. Well, try to expand that. Thanks for being here this morning. <laughs> Another uh, sort of a gloomy morning in Michigan, and uh, well, that's uh, sort of a uh, foreshadowing of, of a lot of our forecasts. We don't see too many changes. I think that's the one of the bottom lines here. Uh, we've had a very, very active storm track through much of the upper Midwest, and actually much of the, even more than the upper Midwest, just all of the, the central U.S. here, including Michigan, and, uh, and, and uh, we, as we've all seen here, especially this, this last few days, uh, uh, you can't uh, get much done when uh, you've got rain almost on a daily basis. And some of that uh, we've <laughs> thrown in here, frozen precipitation as well. We had uh, we had snow yesterday in the northern part of the state uh, again, and we had some significant snow uh, even last weekend, uh, far later than we, uh, we typically see. As we look ahead, I mentioned more, pretty much more of the same. Uh, that, that's, that's the theme you're going to see here. There are going to be some, I think, some, minor windows of opportunity, and the, the first one of those opportunities is going to be coming this weekend. I'm a little bit more optimistic about that, but the long term, especially the medium range, is, is looking like more of the, uh, the same type of weather pattern that we've, we've been stuck in. Uh, Manny covered, uh, I think, really well uh, some of where we are right now, and just a couple follow-up comments on that. The graphic here on the left is the percent of normal precipitation for essentially the months of March and April, and I guess one of the one of the realizations here is that Michigan's not alone in, in being wetter than normal. You can see large portions. Uh, one interesting uh, exception to this is central Iowa, but uh, much of the rest of the region, including the vast majority of Michigan, has has been well uh, above normal in terms of precip here. In some cases, more than two hundred percent, especially in northern parts of, uh, of of the state of Michigan, and that's that's also true as you go west from from here out into uh, the Northern Plains. The one uh, other one I wanted to show here, this is uh, a simulated soil moisture value uh, ranking. And spring, obviously, uh, late April, early May is, is typically one of the, the highest, or uh, times of highest soil moisture uh, seasonally in the year. And yet this year, you, as you can see from the rankings here, many areas we are above 90, or in the 90th percentile. So it's one of the 10 wettest times of the year that we've seen. This is looking at the top three feet, essentially, of the, of the soil profile 
across the region, but much, not only Michigan, but much of the Midwest uh, with a couple of minor exceptions. So again, we, we're hearing about this from, from all over, uh, well, to our south, to our west. It's a, it's a very, very uh, common problem across the Corn Belt this year with just too much moisture, not enough time uh, to get, get much done. Soil temperatures, uh, Manny also covered this. It's, uh, I think we could, this is a, a little bit more recent. This is as of uh, the 30th, which would have been uh, Tuesday. Uh, these are four inch bare soil temperatures, average soil temperatures. And the, the problem is that they've actually cooled down uh, since, uh, since the middle of April. We, uh, we had a, not too bad a start, but because of the recent cooler weather, especially northern parts of the state, we have seen a cooling. And so our, our four inch average temperatures here ranging from still the low 40s in northern parts of the state to the upper 40s across the south. And it just uh, it's cooler than it typically is this time of year. It can be, certainly. And that has also added to our, our, our complications here with trying to get much work done. Well, let's look ahead at where we're at. And uh, this weather pattern that we're in, If um, I don't have a jet stream map here, but if I did, uh, what we, we have, and we've had much of the, of the late winter and early spring, our jet stream flow is from southwest to northeast right across the center of the country. Uh, and that is, there's a couple things that happen with that. One is that we, we get these little waves. One of those is approaching here for, as we speak right now for uh, later today. Uh, and uh, a frontal boundary draped across the region acts as a focusing mechanism. The other important part of this pattern here is that the Gulf of Mexico, which is our primary source of water vapor and moisture for precipitation, is wide open for business. And uh, there's, there's just no shortage of moisture with this. We saw that yesterday uh, across the state. And this morning here, there's, here's the, and this is, uh, I counted them, this is the fourth disturbance, the fourth low pressure system in five days. If you go back to Saturday, we had one Saturday night, which led to some of the snowfall uh, in southwestern parts of the state, uh, one on Monday, one yesterday. And now this next one, uh, this, this will be at least for most of Michigan. This will be the last for a few days. But as we, we go on in the forecast, unfortunately, this pattern probably uh, is going to return by the middle of next week once again, and we'll see another visit. It's, this uh, frontal boundary is going to drift to the south over the weekend, which will give us a little bit of a break, but it likely will return by uh, the middle of the next week. So right now, uh, this, this is our next uh, weather system of note. And by tomorrow morning, you can see that the low-pressure system, just like the, many of those that preceded it, uh, will move probably up as close as the southern lower Michigan and then into Ontario by, uh, by tomorrow morning. So look for today, uh, probably the precipitation moving into the southwest part of the state by this afternoon. Best chances for most areas, mainly the southern half of, of lower Michigan, that's where we're going to see the highest pressure for rainfall uh, this evening and then into the early a.m. hours. A few lingering showers are likely tomorrow morning. How much precip? Well, one good bit of news is that this, uh, this particular system, because of the speed it's traveling, uh, will have less precip than what we saw yesterday. And, uh, and some, some spots, especially down along I-94 yesterday, picked up as much as two inches of rainfall, which again is very, very poorly timed at, uh, right now. But for most areas here, we are looking at a quarter to half an inch uh, across the southern lower, especially as you move down towards the southern couple tiers of counties. That's where we'll see the heaviest rainfall with the system, uh, and it'll be less as you go north. Some areas in northern uh, Michigan, northern lower Michigan, and the UP will probably remain dry, just sort of a gray 
a cool day. We're on the north; they're on the northern side of the slope, so uh, temperatures remaining there only in the 40s uh, to low 50s, so a fairly uh, uh, gray, cool, unseasonable day there. And then finally, by Saturday morning, uh, you can see high pressure here over most of the region. Uh, another weather system sort of reloading down here, and I think the bottom line with this one is we could see over the weekend, we could see a, right along the uh, southern border of the state a threat of maybe some light rain, but with any luck, I think most of this is going to miss us to our south. This uh, system will move through the Ohio Valley. They've been even wetter than we have uh, here in, in recent weeks. And another weather system, uh, this is the next one of note uh, that approaches from the northern plains here. This will, uh, will be uh, an issue mainly for northern parts of the state late in the weekend, but in contrast to what we've seen recently, only scattered uh, and light uh, rainfall amounts are expected with this, and that's, I think that's good news. Uh, the other part of the temperature-wise, we will see uh, for, certainly for uh, Saturday and Sunday, we will see an, a recovery in temperatures, at least back to seasonal levels. We're not going to see anything really warm weather, but it's going to be rel relative to where we've been recently. It will be a bit warmer um, than that has been the case, but overall the means will still lag a, a couple degrees below where they should be. Now, Looking at this pattern, I mentioned a return of it next week. Right now, the best guess is uh, if we skirt through the next several days without precip, I'm guessing probably by Wednesday of next week or Thursday, we will see another major weather system and then be stuck in a pattern similar to where we've been for the last several days where we'll have one of these waves of low pressure riding up along that front every, well, every 24 to 36 hours or so. So that's likely, I think, for the middle to latter part of next week into next weekend. So if there's any opportunities here, they will be up this upcoming weekend and possibly at the beginning of, of next week. Uh, and what's going to be in the rain gauge here, if we look at the next entire week, uh, you can see there's a definite north to south gradient here. These are projected rainfall totals. Heaviest totals across southern parts of the state where we might see an excess of an inch and a half. Uh, and, and if you can think about this, uh, when is this rain going to fall? Well, I said, I mentioned for the south, of probably a quarter to half of that's going to fall later today, tonight, into early tomorrow morning. Uh, and then with dry conditions expected, or mostly dry conditions expected over the next few days, most of this comes by the middle of next week, next Wednesday and Thursday. So uh, a lot of these totals, I think, reflect that or reflect what's expected next week. Uh, better news for the northern part of the state, uh, significantly less, in some cases, less than a quarter of an inch of rain is that all that uh, right now is expected up there, but it's still an active pattern. And between now and then the forecast could change. But the, the I think the important thing is, is that this is very, very active type of jet stream pattern that's leading to this is not going to go away uh, anytime soon. That's also the message that we see in the medium range forecast guidance. Uh, this is that jet stream pattern I just talked about forecast here for the second week of, of May, the 7th through the 11th. And, uh, you get a three-for-one deal here today because uh, the 6- to 10-day, the 8- to 14-day, and now the new revised outlook for the whole month of May, all of these things are almost they're, they're very, very similar to one another. But with this upper air pattern, they call for cooler than normal temperatures, especially to the west of Michigan and the Great Lakes region, but including most of the state here, warmer than normal to our south and east. And, and uh, the, I think the, the real news, and the, it's not positive news, is that we're likely to see above normal precipitation totals with this. That that goes without saying with this kind of pattern. Uh, and again, all 6 to 10, 8 to 14 day, and, and now the new May outlook are all very, very similar to this same theme. So 
we're, this pattern that we're in is going to be around for at least another couple of weeks before uh, something different. And that's, that's essentially the summary here. Uh, we, we do have, though, I guess on the positive side, we do have some, I think, better weather and some opportunities, uh, at least some drier weather coming uh, tomorrow. It's going to take a while, as, as Manny said. It, uh, it's, we don't want to force things, but uh, given the outlook and given the, the pattern that we are seeing, we're going to have to use those opportunities very, very wisely. The other comment, uh, again, given Manny's, some of Manny's information here, we noted that our optimal planting window uh, for, for much of Michigan is, is through the middle of May, and the outlook is really pushing us to that, to that level. So I, it's, it's probably time to at least start to think about some of, uh, if we had to switch, it's likely that some parts of the state are going to be stuck in that. that and, and, it's, and it's inevitable in many, many seasons we do see this, at least in parts of the state, where we're forced to make some some decisions because of delays, but it's likely that these delays will continue at least for the near uh, and the, the medium range. And that's uh, that's my outlook. I wish it were a little bit more helpful here today, but that's I think that's where we are right now. So, Eric, I'll turn it back over to you. Thanks. All right, thank you, Jeff. I think I'm not seeing any questions in the chat box. If anyone has any questions for Jeff. As far as the, the outlook, uh, please go ahead and type those in. Um, and we will get to those in a bit. Let me go ahead and share my screen and I'll wrap things up here. Hi, this is Dennis Pennington, weed extension specialist with Michigan State University. Mm, sorry about that. All right. So um, for those of you who do have a question uh, that you've kind of been hanging on to for either Manny or Jeff, uh, go ahead and type those into the chat box and we'll come back and we'll take those towards the end. Uh, as I mentioned at the outset, uh, we have a, a bit of a, a special presentation today. Uh, Dennis Pennington, just uh, um, looking out at uh, the, the crop so far this spring, uh, wanted to get into our hands uh, a bit of a, a short video about assessing winter wheat stands in Michigan. So I'm going to play that video. But then Dennis is also going to be on. So if you have questions, uh, feel free to type those into the chat box for Dennis. And then also, this has already been posted to YouTube. And I will put that link into the, the chat box in case you want to either forward that on to someone else or to refer to it later. So Hi, this is Dennis Pennington, Wheat Extension Specialist with Michigan State University Extension, talking to you today about assessing winter wheat stands in Michigan. First thing you want to do is go out and walk in a field and identify how much damage you really have out there. If walking a field is, is a good method, but if you do have access to a drone or, or a way to get aerial images, uh, aerial images can really help you identify where the damage is in a field and where to walk to, to to scout it and do stand counts. Because stand counts are really what we're going to have to do uh, in order to really determine what yield potential we have left. But if you can get access to a drone and you can see the different images and see what the pattern of damage is in the field, uh, it can really help you determine how to move forward from here. We did stage three is, is the tillery growth stage, which is where most of the wheat in Michigan is at at this point right now. Uh, we have some in the south that are a little bit further along. They're approaching Feeks 5. Uh, Feeks 5 is when the growing point is differentiated into the terminal spikelet, uh, which means at that point at Feeks 5, the size of the head has been determined. So the number of spikelets on each spike has been determined. Uh, at that growth stage. So we're nearing that here in Michigan. So uh, at this point where we're at in this growth stage now, we need to be counting how many 
tillers that we think will produce a viable seed head that will contribute to our yield potential. So when we go out to do scouting and counts in the field, we want to be counting the number of tillers because we want to estimate how many heads we are going to be able to harvest per foot of a row. Before we get into that, first, let's quickly just go over uh, a little bit of crop growth development. Uh, pictures on the left, I have two plants in my hand there. Uh, the coleoptile is the first tissue that pushes through the soil surface, followed by the first true leaf. And then you can see the second true leaf on that second plant has started to emerge. Most of the wheat is beyond this stage at this point in the state of Michigan. The picture on the right, you can see the first tiller starting to poke out or emerge out of the world. Uh, and then the plant on the left is even further developed, and that, that plant has four tillers. So when we're doing our counts, we want to count how many tillers we think are going to be able to survive and produce a viable seed head, uh, which will contribute to our yield potential. So remember, when we're doing our counts, we are wanting to count viable tillers uh, in, in each foot of row. So here's our scouting procedure. You want to go out and measure out three feet of row. You want to count and record the number of plants or number of tillers in each of those three feet of row, and then calculate the average number of plants per foot of row. Do that in three to, different, three to five different locations in the field and take an average uh, overall to get an idea what the field average is. And then you can get some idea what the, the yield potential is of the field. So once you know what your average number of harvestable heads per foot of row is, uh, you can look on this chart and at seven and a half inch row spacing, you need 15 to 18 harvestable heads to equate to your approximate normal 100% of yield goal. Uh, as your stand is reduced or less than that, you can see 11 to 14 uh, heads per, per foot of row is a 90 to 95 percent yield potential. You know, really, if you're trying to push high yield potential, you want somewhere upwards around 24 heads per foot of row would, would be ideal. But at least this chart can give you some idea of where you're at and what kind of yield potential you're going to have uh, in the field. So. As you go out and make evaluations, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. My email is penin34 at msu.edu. You can also follow me on Twitter at penin34. All right. And Dennis, if you are on. Yes, sir. All right. Let me. Dennis, can you see the, the, the chat box to see if anyone has. Otherwise, I can pull that up. Okay, there is a question. What is the best way to assess soil moisture for planting purposes? For example, soil drop uh, from the waste, soil ball pressed with finger in the palm, uh, soil meter, etc. And what, is, what part of the field do you do the test? Uh, what is part average, etc.? Um, Manny, do you want to take a crack at that or... You want me to? Okay, I'm not. I'm not hearing Manny. So, uh, to determine uh, soil moisture content, you know, there's a number of old uh, tricks or ways to to do that. Um, and you know, basically, what you want to do is is use your best judgment uh, to determine when you should be out there in the field. And if you try going out and do some tillage, uh, and you're creating smearing on the side wall of the the tillage pass, you're you're probably out there a little bit too wet. And as far as, you know, where, what part of the field do you do? Yeah, you, you may have wet spots that are wetter. Um, you may have spots that are drier. It's ideal to wait until even the wet spots are dry to, to do your tillage and, and determine when to plant. But ultimately, like Manny had in his slides, you know, you want to avoid that sidewall compaction um, and, uh, you know, compaction just in general from, from you know, driving across the field. So, uh, you know, at some point I know you have to go and you have to plant, but, you uh, you know, as as he had in his slides, you can wait. We're we're not at the point where we have to go now. 
uh, you can still get some good yield potential by holding off for another week or so. Hey, Dennis, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, my microphone wasn't working for some reason. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, I think you your answer pretty much sums up. I think uh, this this question. But yeah, I think uh, just even basic method holding soil in hand and trying to make a, a ball. And if it's too wet, I think you will see like your hand getting moist. I think that's a pretty simple way to, to do it as well, right? And even basically uh, maybe investing into uh, a soil moisture sensor, I think might, might be a good, good approach too uh, here. Basically as we're continuing to see these uh, wet springs here, right? Year after year. So I think just maybe buying a, a cheap soil moisture sensor might might be a good idea. So you can just stick it in, in ground at a couple of spots, basically, including those wet spots and, and make a determination. All right. So there's another question. Uh, are you looking at splitting nitrogen and sulfur or put it all in one pass now uh, for wheat? So if you have not put nitrogen out yet, yet on wheat, uh, I would say, yeah, you're probably at the point now where you'd want to put it all in one application. I don't think doing a split is going to help you. Uh, the only reason for doing a split application uh, on wheat is to improve tillering. You get some early nitrogen out there, it'll, it'll tiller out uh, more quickly. Uh, but we're kind of beyond that point because we're approaching the stage where we're going to start jointing here probably in the next week or 10 days. Uh, and, and at that point, you know, we're kind of almost moving out of the tillering phase. So trying to do a split application uh, probably isn't going to be all that beneficial. And I put all the nitrogen on and sulfur now uh, in, in one pass. That's all the questions I see in the chat pod. Chris made a comment about uh, down in Southeast, Ricardo has found uh, some black cutworm moths in his, in his uh, trap. So just be aware of that. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Dennis. I appreciate that. Um, for everyone else, uh, if you follow Facebook, uh, uh, please go ahead and like us on Facebook or uh, same thing with Twitter. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Kurt Steinke will be talking about early season soil fertility. And because I did not have access to my chat box while I was sharing the screen, I could not put the that URL for the YouTube on there. So uh, for those of you who wanted to, again, go ahead and check out Dennis's video on YouTube or to share that, uh, I just put that link into the chat box. So feel free to copy that and, and use that. All right. So again, thank you, everyone. Uh, we'll see you back here next week.